Amen. Thank you, Matt, for leading our family worship time. It's such a joy to just see those who are leading that just continuing to grow. Uh, as well, a joy to worship together as we uh, spend some time in song and in prayer. So thank you, music team, for leading us in that as well. Uh, it is a joy to uh, be here again worshiping our God as we spend time singing and praying and opening his word together. Uh, this morning we're going to be continuing through the Gospel of John. Pastor Nate uh, last week had been preaching on uh, Jesus feeding the 5,000 as well as walking on the water, and so we're going we're to be continuing in that uh, in John 6 verses 22 to 40, uh, as Jesus calls himself the bread of life. But I want to start off by asking you this question. What is the one thing in this world right now, if you had it, you would feel satisfied? And I know probably the Christian answer is like, Jesus, of course, right? Jesus. But I want you to just kind of think about it, because if you're going to be really honest with yourself, there is something that often kind of takes over your mind that you think about before you go to bed, that maybe you think about throughout the day. What's that one thing that if you had it, it would satisfy you? Maybe it's a, a new car. Maybe your old car is not working well. You've had to put a lot of money into it. You know, if you, if you had a new car, a lot of stress would be gone. A lot of things would be a lot easier. Um, maybe it's a new video game system. All your friends might have it. They're all playing this game, and you kind of feel left out, and you feel like, oh, if I had that, I'd have a little bit more fun. I wouldn't be so bored. Right? Things would be a little bit better. Maybe it's relationship, whether that's a you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, or whether that's just friendships. Uh, especially in this COVID time, it's been really hard because we haven't been able to get together, right? Maybe you've been feeling really lonely. And man, if I just was able to have some friends and be together, life would feel a lot more satisfied. We can get a little even more deeper and real. Maybe it's the health and wellness of ourselves or our, our family, right? You might know a loved one who's sick, who's not doing well. And if they were just better, if they were healed, a lot of stress would be gone. In this passage in John, we find a people seeking Jesus because he filled them with bread. Right? Like I said, Pastor Nate was speaking on how Jesus fed the 5,000 with the five loaves and the two fish. And we see that these past few accounts are connected from the feeding of the 5,000 to Jesus walking on the water to Jesus now referring to himself as the bread of life. Right, he's talking about this bread that he uh, has given them in verses 1 to 15, uh, but now he's referring to something a little bit deeper. He's talking about himself, the bread that has come down from heaven. Right, showing Jesus as the fulfillment of God's promise, the better Moses. Right, this is part of the Passover time. And so we see this deeper understanding of who Jesus is as the, the Jewish people are reflecting upon this time. See, in this culture, bread was the staple food. If you just said the word food, people would think bread. Uh, the Hebrew word is lechem. Generally, it means the staple food of that culture. And so in ancient Near East this was bread. It was easy to get. It was fulfilling, right? It would feed you. It would keep you full. It'd be satisfying. Bread was really life to these people. But it does really point out our own physical satisfaction 
that we often desire, right? We're looking for this physical satisfaction, just as these people are searching for Jesus, for this bread. But we don't realize how spiritually starving we are, how spiritually in need we are of the food that only Jesus can offer. And so it begs us to question as well, why do we seek Jesus? And so as we get into this passage, I pray that that these questions are kind of on your hearts as we read. And as we go through it, I pray that we are just in awe of the life-giving bread that Jesus is to us. Let us read in John 6, verses 22 to 40. It reads, On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What works do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing at all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, may we stand in awe of you, of your holiness and your majesty, and your power as we read from your word this morning. God, your word is truth, and may we see it rightly as that. God, grant us a hunger for your truth. God, to treasure your truth. Lord, guide us in the wisdom and understanding that we would know the meaning of this text and how it points us to Christ. Lord, increase our love for one another and our love for you. Lord, help us apply this passage to our lives today that we'd be challenged, that we'd be changed by your word through the working of your spirit, God, that we would be obedient followers of Christ. God, forgive us of these many times that we do not see the satisfaction that is in Christ. 
Lord, help me to preach your word with boldness and gentleness that you will be center, that you will be glorified as you continue to save and sanctify your people. God, I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. So as we go through this text, uh, first we're looking at verse 22 to 26, and we see that there are these people who are seeking bread. You can see the people are eager, they're excited. It's almost like those fans who wait outside of the stadium to try and get a glimpse of their favorite celebrity, right? It's almost crazy. Sometimes it's frightening how enthusiastic people are. But they're kind of like this, right? They're, they've been watching. They saw the disciples of Jesus leave on the boat, and they were looking for Jesus. They didn't see him, right? They didn't see any other boats leave. It makes me think they even had people watching throughout the night to see if there was any boats that came, if anyone saw Jesus. They kept watched and realized that Jesus did not get on one of the boats, right? His disciples went alone. However, we have insight knowing that Jesus walked on the water, right? And yet performed another miracle to his disciples, pointing to who he is, pointing to him as creator, right? That he has authority even over the seas. So the other boats come in, right? And seeing that Jesus was no longer here, they get in the boats and they seek Jesus, which seems pretty good, right? If someone comes to you and says, hey, I'm seeking Jesus, we're probably pretty excited about that. This is great news. But as we get into verse 25, right, the people find Jesus across the lake and they ask him, when did you get here? Which for me is kind of a weird question because I would probably be asking, how did you get here? There was no boats. Did you walk around the Sea of Galilee? And if so, how did you get here that fast? Because that's a long way around. Right? But they just asked, when did you, when did you get here? But instead of answering them about walking on the water and once again pointing to who he is as a son of God, as a promised Messiah, Jesus instead shows the knowledge of their heart motive. Right? Jesus is not fooled by our hearts. He knows our hearts deeply. He knows our hearts better than we know our hearts. They weren't just seeking Jesus for Jesus. And so in verse 26, very bluntly and very truthfully, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. That is the real reason that they were trying to find Jesus, that they went on the boat to seek Jesus, that they went across the Sea of Galilee to find Jesus. They came not for him, not because they believe in who he is and who he was, but because they had their fill. And so they missed it. They missed the point. They missed the purpose of the signs. Although they saw it, right? They saw what Jesus did. They even ate it. They experienced it, right? They ate their fill of the bread and the fish. But they didn't actually see the sign, And we see this happening before with Jesus. In John 2, verses 23 to 24, it says, Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Right? It says that they believed. But as you continue on in verse 24, it says, But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. And so just when someone believes, just when someone is seeking Jesus, doesn't necessarily mean that they are disciples, that they're following him. Jesus knows their hearts. Jesus knows our hearts. And the true motive of coming to him 
See, because John used this word sign often. The meaning of sign in this gospel is that it points beyond the physical reality. It points to this reality of revelation, the spiritual reality. It points and gives insight into who Jesus is. In Colossians 1.16, it says, All things were created through him and for him. And so this bread that Jesus multiplied to feed 5,000 wasn't just to feed these people and fill their bellies and satisfy their hunger for that day. It was a sign, a miracle, that pointed to who Jesus was, that he was the Son of God, that he did come down from heaven, and he was here to do something miraculous. As we know farther, he is to give his life for many who believe in him. The bread was created to point to who Jesus is. That satisfying smell and feeling. I don't know if you guys have ever had homemade bread before, but even just the smell makes me hungry. (laughs) Right? The crisp crust, the soft middle, the warmth right as you bite into it. Oh, so good. But even that is to point to Jesus, how much more satisfying times infinity he is to our lives, to our hearts, to our souls. But the people did not see Jesus for who he was. He's not limited by resource. He provides and cares for us. He is able to fill and satisfy, right? The creation points to the creator, and yet, instead of worshiping the painter, they worship the art, and said, what a great piece of art that is. Look at how well it painted itself. It's amazing. Right? It doesn't make sense. And yet, that's what they were doing. But the Bible gives us insight to this. Right? This is who we are in our sinful nature. Romans 1.25 says, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. The people did not see this sign, but only saw the physical provision and worked hard to get it, right? They put in work. It seems like maybe they didn't because all they did was get on a boat and cross the sea, but like for me to go across the sea just to get a loaf of bread seems like a lot of work, a lot of time, right? Effort. They wanted Jesus to alleviate that physical hunger, and they worked for it. They are fixated on it that product of the miracle and not the miracle worker. And this doesn't mean that meeting physical needs is wrong, right? Because Jesus did meet their physical needs, right? He had compassion on them and he fed them. He filled their bellies with the food, with the bread, with the fish. Right? We need food to live. But as we have seen, right, he is very careful when it comes to people's hearts motive. The reason that they come to him, that they believe and that they follow him. Do they seek to love and worship him or do they worship because they can get their fill of bread? See, they didn't see him as precious. They didn't treasure him in their hearts. They saw his gifts as precious. Right? Oh, what a useful king he will be. Right? We see that in verse 15 of John 6. Right? Perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain because he knew They didn't want to make him king because they knew that he was the king of kings. They wanted to make him king because what a great king it would be that could alleviate all our physical suffering, all our physical hunger. We'd have food forever. 
But Jesus wanted to point them to a greater need than the physical, temporary suffering. Right? A need that working day in and day out won't satisfy. Even if we gained all of life's resources and pleasures. Right? The Bible points us to that. What does it profit a man if he gains a whole world and yet loses his soul? This is the great news of the gospel. That Jesus is all satisfying, all fulfilling. He meets our greatest need, which is our sin against a holy God. Our end is destruction. Our end is eternal death. That is the road that we are headed on. And unless we believe in Christ as our Lord and Savior, as the perfect Lamb who died on the cross and in three days rose again, who conquered death and gives us new life in his name for all those who believe in him, they will be gifted eternal life. That is what Jesus was pointing them to. Because the warnings are there. Philippians 3.19 says, Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. And we've been there before in our own lives, right? We've, we've wrestled with struggling to just get ahead in this rat race of getting more, of finding more, of wanting more, of trying to get satisfied, of trying to be filled and yet everything just leaves us empty. It satisfies for a little bit, but at some point, it leaves us empty. The people were thinking, what could be better than having an endless fill of bread that they never physically hunger? Jesus has an answer. And so in verse 27 to 34, Jesus is pointing to the bread of eternal life. Have you ever had food spoiled before? I'm sure, I'm sure. Happens all the time, right? Fruits, vegetables, I'm sure you've seen a rotten fruit or vegetable, right? Or maybe that like leftover dinner that just kept getting pushed to the back of the fridge that people forgot about and then months later you're like, what is that smell? You open, yeah, you probably shouldn't open it up. You can tell just by looking at it, but you always open it up just to make sure, I don't know why we do, that rotten smell just fills the house And what is it good for, except to be thrown out? You're not going to eat that. I hope you're not. But doesn't it feel like a waste, right? You went through all that work, all that trouble. You worked to get your money, to buy the food, to go to the store, to get the food. You bring it back home. You prepare it. You cook it. You put in work, right? And then what did you do with it? You threw it out. Jesus tells the people, that is what you're doing. You're putting in so much work and energy and sweat and tears and putting your hope in something just like that. It just rots. Something that doesn't last. Something that in this life is like a spark and then gone. It occupies your mind. It's the treasure of your heart. And out of that heart, you act and you work. And so it begs us the question, what's the treasure of our hearts? What are we working towards? What are we putting all of this effort into? Because even if someone is successful for their entire life, at their death, it perishes. Everything ends. Except what Jesus is pointing them to. He's saying, don't let that perishable food lead your life and capture your heart. And yet we so often get entangled in the pleasures of this world. 
Jesus is pointing to something that goes beyond the physical, goes beyond the temporary. He's talking about a spiritual food that does not disappear, does not spoil, that fulfills and satisfies the hunger, and that lasts even beyond physical death. And what is the source? It's the Son of Man. Work for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. The Son of Man, who God has set his seal, who has verified this is the real promised Messiah. This is the Son of God. It's like on Twitter, when you see that little blue check mark, they're verified. That is the real person. That is what God is saying. This is the real Messiah. This is the one who I've promised from long ago, from the very beginning of Adam and Eve. This is Jesus. He is the one who's going to fulfill these promises. He is the one who is going to satisfy you. God has given his authority to his son to give eternal life to whom he will. In Luke 10, Jesus says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no, one knows who, uh, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Jesus has come that we may know God. We may know our Heavenly Father. Jesus has come to give us true life to which we are created, to glorify God, which can only be done through a life in Christ, through believing in Christ and who he is, that he is the promised Messiah, the true Son of God, the sacrificial lamb. And so the people ask Jesus, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Right? He's saying, don't labor for these things, labor for the things that injure that are eternal, right? And they're saying, well, what, what work do we need to do? What do we need to do then? Right? These were the Jewish people. They grew up in tradition and rules and laws and following and doing works, right? To be set apart, to be God's people, to be made holy, to be able to actually have a presence with God. And so they said, there has to be something, right? We have to be able to do something, This is beautiful. Jesus says, the work is to believe in him whom he has sent, in verse 29. Believe. That is the work. Believe. Because no amount of work we can achieve, uh, no amount of work that we can do can achieve salvation. The work that we put in to try and get right with God is like handing him a pile of dirt. It's not even worth it pennies. But believing on the work of Christ, believing on the eternal bread which the Son of Man gives to us, that is what achieves salvation. The everlasting food. And so we rest in that saving work of the promised Messiah, the Lamb of God, Believe that Jesus fulfills our deepest hunger and satisfies our deepest longings. Right? God has put eternity in our hearts that we would long for him, that we would know him and understand him, that we would be with him and long to be with him. Believe that Jesus can save the uttermost sinful human onto glory. 
No one is too far gone. That is the work. And so the people ask Jesus, what sign do you give? Right, because that's a pretty bold claim that Jesus gave. So how, how come we should believe you? What are you going to do? How are you going to show us that this is actually true, that what you say is actually true, that you actually are the one who you say you are? But people still want to sign a proof or reason for the belief that Jesus called them to, right? as if they didn't already have one with the feeding of the 5,000. And yet, here they are, right, asking, they even give an example, right? They said, uh, we believe in Moses. We believe in what Moses did and who he was because of the sign of the manna, right? Which our, father, our forefathers ate in the wilderness, right? That's going all the way back to Exodus 16, right? God pe- feeds his people with manna saying, behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or not. This bread is a miracle, right? It's food that's provided where no food could be found. God provided for his people. The amount provided is just sufficient, right? After it's collected from the ground, no one has more or less than they need. Yet this bread is perishable. If it is left uncollected, it turns foul or melts away. And so as we understand that passage, as we understand kind of what was happening at that time in Exodus, we can understand even more what the people are asking, and what Jesus is then answering to them. See, Moses catered in God's provided manna for them daily, which, you know, each day they were filled. In this moment, they're hungry again, right? They had their fill the day before when Jesus fed them uh, with the 5,000, but now they're hungry again, just as we get hungry. So how can Jesus claim to be greater than Moses if Moses fed them every single day when he only provided for them one meal. They want him to keep giving signs to continue to provide, to show that they can trust in him, to show that he will continue to uh, fill their bellies. But Jesus points out two truths. First off, it wasn't actually Moses that provided the bread. It was God. God provided. Moses catered it in, but God provided the food. And the secondly, right, Jesus says, my father gives you the true bread from heaven. Right, the bread that comes down is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to this world. It's not the bread that you should be wanting. It's not that physical bread. It's me the bread that comes down from heaven, the bread that will fully satisfy, that will not spoil. And so what a lens this gives us into our own lives when it comes to our heart in response to God's provision to us. Because when God provides, I would say most often we're probably pretty content, right? If he gives us stuff that we need, stuff that we want, if he blesses us, usually you're pretty happy. You're probably not complaining, maybe. I mean, sometimes I guess we do. But what if that provision stops? I think COVID has been a great example of it. How do we react? Right? When these things that we feel comfortable in, these things that we take advantage of, that we uh, aren't even sometimes super grateful for, how do we 
react. Often we complain. We ask why, God? How could you do this to me? I need more. I need something else. Right? That's not belief in him. That's just reacting to circumstances. If we truly believed that God is this all-satisfying, fulfilling Father, if Jesus is truly the Son of God, regardless of what is provided for us physically in this world, we will walk with faith, knowing that God has given us more than we deserve in Christ. Because it goes beyond even death. But the reality is God has provided the true bread from heaven, all that we need in Christ, who came down to earth, humbled himself as a servant. The Son of God humbled himself and came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He did not sin. He died in our place. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was hung on a cross and killed for our sins, to bear the wrath of God upon himself for our sins. And we did nothing. We were enemies of him. We weren't even his friends. And yet he did that for us. His great love for us. His mercy, his grace poured out on us. For all who believe in his name, that he died and that in three days he rose again to give us a new life. That is the eternal bread that Jesus is talking about. And we will see that in the next following verses. Do we treasure Christ? J.C. Rao has a beautiful quote. Uh, our, our discipleship group is going through this book called Holiness. Uh, there's just so many quotable things. You could probably just put Twitter uh, posts forever as you read that book. It's insane. Uh, but J.C. Rao says this, it is better a thousand times to be without money and health and friends and company and good cheer than to be without Christ. And I pray that the response of the people, however their heart motive is, would be our response. Give us this bread, always, but out of a true heart for the treasure of Christ. As we move into verse 35 to 40, we see that Jesus for the first time reveals that he is this bread. I am the bread of life, he declares. The first of seven I am statements, right? Even claiming his deity as we reflect upon again, Exodus 3.14, when Jesus gives the name to Moses, I am. I am has sent you, right? Jesus is claiming, I am the bread of life. Jesus is pointing once again that he is, in fact, the Son of God. And he says, you will not hunger, you will not thirst. I am the bread that gives life. And it's not that those spiritual feelings won't come from time to time, right? There are times where we feel spiritually hungry or spiritually thirsty as we long to know Christ more as we just wrestle through this sinful world, our own sinful selves. But Jesus is saying, when you believe in me, when you come to me, you will know the purpose of that longing, of that thirst, of that hunger, and you will know where to go to, or in this case, who to go to, to satisfy those longings. 
and you will be satisfied forever. See, Jesus is essential for life. Just like bread was that staple food within the ancient Near East culture, Jesus is the staple food for life. When you think of life, you think of Jesus. Jesus didn't want to just give bread anymore. He wanted to give himself. And unfortunately, we see in verse 36 that though they saw these signs, though they saw what Jesus did, though they heard what Jesus said, what Jesus pointed to, the people did not actually see. They did not actually believe. They did not actually follow him. It's sad, right, as a feast is set before them. A beautiful feast. A satisfying, eternally uh, a satisfying feast for these people. And they just sit there. Hearts hard, eyes closed, still wanting the sugar-coated idols of this world. It's like a picky child that won't eat their food. Any parents, I'm sure you've been there before, right? You've prepared a beautiful meal, delicious. Smells great. You've tasted it. It's delicious. And the kid says, mm, no. I don't want it. Ew, that's gross. I don't like it. Arms crossed, right? Or they use that excuse, I'm not hungry, even though they haven't eaten the entire day. But if you gave them a popsicle, they would eat that, right? Right? God offers his son the bread of life, and yet some will not eat. But does this mean that Jesus goes wasted? That God's saving plan fails? No, because of what Jesus says directly after. He paints the reality that apart from God's sovereign work in our lives, no one would come to God. No one would come to eat of Jesus, of the bread of life. We see that in John 6, 44 and Romans 3, 11, which also points to Psalm 14. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. But they have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have they no knowledge? All the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord. God gives his chosen to Jesus. They will come to Jesus as God works in their hearts and points them to the life-giving work of Jesus. They are kept by Jesus. He will not lose them. And he will raise them from the dead on the last day, all part of God's sovereign will and plan. This is our sure foundation. We are resting in the sovereign work of God, whose plans will not fail, whose plans will not be foiled. As we rest in the saving work of Christ, the eternal bread that does not spoil. It's a security unlike any other, a peace and a hope that goes beyond understanding, a love undeserved, a gift of grace that can only be received and not earned. See, the fact that God has saved any of us is an absolute miracle of his sovereignty. The reality is we really should just not be here. We should have sinned and God should have been like, uh, wiped out. And yet we're still here. God is still patient with us. God is still working his salvation in people's hearts. God is still calling his chosen people to himself that they would be saved, that they would be saved to eternal life. And so how do we know who these people are? They will come 
to Jesus. And so we need to go and share the eternal bread of life with all who will hear, all who will receive it. Because there will be those who will come and they will feast and they will be satisfied and they will know the love of their Savior who has saved them from their sins through his body and blood given. Matthew 5, 6 reads, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And so what do we do with all of this? How do we sum this up together? Seek and believe in Jesus, the fulfilling spiritual bread of life that we as sinners need for eternal life. Seek Jesus. Do we see the worth of believing in Jesus, the fulfilling spiritual bread of life that we as sinners need for eternal life? Or are there other things worth more to us? What are those things on your heart that aren't Christ, that occupy your mind, that stress you out as you think about how am I going to work this out? Seek Jesus for Jesus. God is giving of him. Are you receiving? Will you see the feast that Christ is? Will you take? Will you eat? And no longer spiritually hunger. Seek the Lord Jesus while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. He is sitting at God's right hand, able to save the uttermost everyone who comes to him, however sinful and careless he may have been. He is sitting at God's right hand, willing to hear the prayer of everyone who feels that their past life has all been wrong and wants to be set right. Seek Jesus. Seek Christ without delay. Acquaint yourself with him. Do not be ashamed to apply to him. We need to rest in the saving work of Christ, the eternal bread of life that fully satisfies those deep longings that God has put in our hearts. And to not just seek after that physical bread. Because sometimes Jesus gives bread, physical bread, right? Those things in our life that are blessings from him, but sometimes he also takes those things away. But the purpose of both is to point to the all-satisfying need of who he is, that we would more faithfully treasure the eternal bread that he is to us. And so I pray that Jesus would be on your hearts, because the reasons that we go to seek Jesus will be the same reasons that we give others to go and seek Jesus. And so we need to be sure that we are pointing people to who Jesus is and what he has done. That he is the son of God. That he is the promised Messiah. That he is the bread of life that fully satisfies. And he will bless people and he will provide, but maybe not in the same way that we think or that we feel that we should be. But if we only had Christ, that is all we need. And God has blessed us beyond what we deserve. And so let us not only alleviate the physical needs of people around us within our community as we go, but let us also point them to the bread of life. Let us point them to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would see more come to know him and to feast at his table. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that we would seek 
Christ. God, that we would treasure him in our hearts as we reflect upon who he is. God, as John 6 has pointed us to, he is the all-satisfying bread of life. God, there are many things in our world that try to capture our hearts, that try to tell us that they will satisfy, that try to tell us that um, they will give us something more than you can. But God, I pray that we would not be fooled. I pray that as we have spent this time in your word, that we would see the truth of who you are. That we would not just seek you for the things that you can give us physically, but God, the full, satisfying Uh, eternal life, eternal bread that is in Christ. And God, may we go and be the disciples that you've called us to be. That we would not just alleviate the physical suffering of people in our world, but God, that we would point them to the one who satisfies that deep spiritual longing. That hole that nothing else can satisfy except for Christ. God, what a joy it is to worship you this morning. I pray that we would worship you in spirit and truth as we bring the good news of your gospel to those around us. God, continue to work in our hearts and our lives that we would show your love, that we would love you more. God, and bring glory to your name. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.